Good to be with you here this morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. And uh, ladies, and uh, my wife and I remarked about that on the way home yesterday as I was listening to so many members of the family talking about uh, Sister Ruby Donnelly and as a, as a mom and a grandma and a wife and all the things that she meant uh, to her family. Um, this, this, this world, this feminist-inflicted world, will tell you that if you're a keeper at home, you're wasting your time. I'm here to say that they're wasting their time going out into the world to try to compete with men. That's what I'm going to tell you. And you're doing your greatest work as you make a home and you're raising a family. And uh, I know it's not Mother's Day, so it's not time for the Mother's Day message, but uh, that's just something that really struck us as we were coming home last night, so please keep that in mind. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of the man Christ Jesus. The Bible says there is one mediator, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And in Job chapter 9 here, where I asked you to turn, in verse 32, Job, speaking of God, says, For he is not a man, as I am, that I should answer him again. And we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. And so what Job longed for was someone who could take God in one hand and him in the other and bring them together. And he called that person a daysman. In the New Testament, we would say mediator. And that mediator, of course, is the man, Christ Jesus. And um, I'd say this right off the bat. Um, one of the things I've learned in life is that men are a disappointment. Men are a disappointment. Man in general. And uh, usually the more they're puffed up and the more celebrity status they have, the bigger the disappointment. And it doesn't matter if it's in the realm of science or education or politics or sports or religion or whatever the case may be. Uh, man, the Bible says, at his best state is altogether vanity. But the Lord Jesus Christ is one man that upon closer examination, he just becomes more and more wonderful. As opposed to normal sons of Adam's fallen race who upon more close examination become a great disappointment. And, um, you know, when I think of the man Christ Jesus every year around Christmas, the older I get, um, I, 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 it, when I say that I, I appreciate Christmas more, I'm not talking about the presents and the family time and the, and the festive uh, uh, mentality and atmosphere of things. Those are all nice. But um, just the... the deepening of the thought of God sending his son and God incarnate coming into this world and a man walking through this life for 33 and a half years as God manifest in the flesh. So when I attempt to preach to you this morning on the subject of the man Christ Jesus, I realize that I am embarking on mission impossible. Um, but if I can but lift him up a little bit, 
But if I can this morning just draw your attention a little bit closer to him and in the end get us all to pay a little more attention to him today. As Paul said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, if I can get us in the midst of all the confusion and madness in this crazy life and world that we live, if I can get us to draw our attention more to him, I will have done us a service this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, I admit to you this morning, trying to lift up Christ, um, it's, I, I can't do it any justice. Uh, my words don't seem adequate, so we will rely, rely upon your word this morning. And Lord, in some measure, may all of us be drawn to Christ. And you said, if you be lifted up, you'll draw all men unto yourself. So Father, help us. Help us to lift up Christ. And uh, Lord, brag on him and talk about him and delight in him and praise him. And give him the glory and honor that he deserves as your son. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak through us and uh, help me to get out of the way. And we pray, Father, more than anything else, uh, we would see the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up. And Father, for anyone without Christ, either in this building this morning or looking in online, that this would be the day of days for them, that they would come to meet the one who is never a disappointment, uh, the God-man, the one that would take away their sins, who died on the cross for their sins, who was buried and rose again from the dead. And Father, for your people, Lord, that we would be more enthralled and captivated by all that you are. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. When we talk about the man Christ Jesus, we're referencing what Luke says over and over in his gospel. He refers continually to Christ as the Son of Man, and that's a reference to Jesus as a mediator between God and man, and that daysman that Job longed for. The Bible says, "Great, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, folks, that means he identifies with God, and he identifies with us, because he is both. And... Um, the Bible says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Uh, we think of Christ as the historical figure. Our very calendar is based on him, B.C. and A.D. And uh, biblical and secular history alike testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. The agnostic Ralph Waldo Emerson said it this way. He said, the name of Jesus is not so much written as it is plowed into history. And men never tire of reading about him. Uh, Josephus, the famed Jewish historian who lived between 37 and 95 AD, um, records the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In his Jewish antiquities, he writes this. He says, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was Christ. 
And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these things, and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Now some have missed his deity, lost in the uniqueness of his manhood. In the fall of 1775, the manager of Baltimore's largest hotel refused lodging to a man dressed like a common farmer because he thought the fellow's lowly appearance would discredit his inn. So the man left and took a room elsewhere. Later, the innkeeper discovered that he had turned away none other than the vice president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. Immediately, he sent a note to the famed patriot asking him to return and be his guest. Jefferson replied by instructing his messenger as follows. He said, tell him I have already engaged a room. I value his good intentions highly. But if he has no place for a dirty American farmer, he has none for the vice president of the United States. And so men mistake the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way. And um, yet we realize that his deity is confirmed even in the uniqueness of his manhood. So I want to start by turning to John chapter 7 as we talk about the man Christ Jesus and his uniqueness. And we'll start in John chapter 7. And I really worked this morning and the last couple of days studying this, trying to pare this down so I could get it done in one message. And then when I couldn't do it, I asked God this morning if it would be okay if I talked about his son two weeks in a row. And he thought that was a good idea. <laughs> so I'm probably not going to get through this whole message this morning. But uh, John chapter 7 and um, uh, pick up the narrative here. Let me see where we need to pick it up here. In, in, in John chapter 7, the, um, the, San, the uh, Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, sent the temple officers or the temple police to go apprehend Christ. And in going to apprehend him, they fall under the spell of his teaching and his preaching. And so they come back without him. And the Bible says in verse 45... Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? And I want you to notice what they said in verse 47. Then answered them, uh, excuse me, in verse 46, the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. And so the first thing I want to say to you this morning about Christ is that never man spake like Christ. No man ever spoke like him. Um, you know, I, I, I think so much of, of all of the things he said, and everything he said that we have in the four Gospels cannot be improved upon. Absolutely not. I think of when he said, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Now, you could read volumes and volumes and volumes on finances and money and possessions and all the philosophies behind those things, and you will not improve on that one phrase. That one phrase says more than all the libraries worth of uh, people that, uh, that um, 
uh, specialize in the area of economics, philosophers, uh, earning money, keeping money, the value of money, the pitfalls of money, and the spending of money. And you'll never improve on that one statement because what Christ said, said it all, a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And, um, you know, the Bible says he, he spake with authority. Uh, in John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Imagine any mere mortals suggesting something like that. Uh, everybody that's laboring and heavy laden, come to me, I will give you rest. What a claim. What a claim for him to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Uh, folks, I'm not aware of any other religious leader that even tried to make this claim. And then as a man, as he stood there accused by an angry mob and the religious and political systems of his day, he looked those men in the eye and he said, which of you convinces me of sin? Which of you is going to be able to point to something and actually make it stick? And of course, no one ever did. Uh, Kaiser William of Germany during the, during the First World War uh, was a Christian. And um, frequently this emperor would give proof of his religious sentiments. Hardly a speech did he ever deliver without some religious reference. One incident in his life is typical. He was discussing a, pa a passage of the New Testament with a university professor. The passage was the well-known one <coughs> where Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. The professor was attempting to deny the divinity of Christ. The Kaiser asked him, have you ever said to your students, I am the vine and you are the branches? No, sir, was the answer. Do you think any professor before you has ever spoken this? Again, the answer was no. He says, do you think that in the future, professors will so speak to those grouped at their feet and say, I am the vine and ye are the branches? And he said, certainly not. Well, then, the Kaiser went on, since never has master spoken, nor can he speak as Christ has spoken, I believe that not only was Christ a real man, but he was also real God. The Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 7, And it came to pass, uh, when he had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. And this was after his Sermon on the Mount. You think of the authority he spoke with, you, speak, you think of the truth uh, that he spoke. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Uh, nowadays, when you hear things on the news, whether it's legacy media or social media, or people just speaking, the Bible says, let, let God be true and every man a what? A liar. I'm always amazed when people are shocked that someone lied. He lied to us. <laughs> Okay, that's one liar lying to a bunch of liars. <laughs> Anybody surprised here? But um, as members of Adam's fallen race, we, we've almost become uh, accustomed to it. Uh, my wife and I were, were talking about some of the things that are going on with all these um, 
these uh, uh, trials and accusations with uh, former President Trump and all the stuff with, with uh, Biden and his son and all that stuff. And um, the, the, the phrase in Scripture that, that came to my mind was out of the book of Romans. The Bible says, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. It doesn't seem that man can ever get it right. Uh, they're either nitpicking something or, or swallowing a camel. Uh, one of the two. I, I, I mean, my biggest problem with our president isn't his idiot son, okay? It, it's the fact that he wants it to be legal uh, for uh, parents, as stupid as they might be for wanting to do this, uh, taking their vulnerable little children and taking to a doctor who's supposed to be there to help us and mutilate the kid and try to make him the other gender. Uh, that bothers me a little bit more than whether or not his son's an idiot and he knows it or not. Um, but I keep thinking of that phrase in Scripture, the meanwhile, um, meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And, and that's, that's this world we live in, folks. That's this world we live in. A, a man's word is hardly worth anything anymore. I mean, back in the day, a man used to be able to borrow money in our country on a handshake. Try that now. A man used to be able to go into a bank years ago, back in the 19th century, if he was a Methodist, and shake the man, the banker's hand, and borrow money on the fact that he was a Methodist. Try that now. Uh, we got the, I, I call it the gotcha media, whether it's uh, legacy media or mainstream media or social media, it's all about gotcha. Everybody's digging up the dirt on each other, but of course, they're clean, Right? Everybody's clean as a whistle. We, we, we know that. But when I think of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think of the truth that he always spoke. You never had to wonder if he was telling the truth. The Bible says in Titus, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Folks, you realize that God not only won't lie to us, but he cannot lie to us. It's not even in his nature uh, to do it. And the Lord Jesus Christ spoke truth. He spoke with clarity. He spoke with clarity. One of the early church fathers, a fellow named Chrysostom, his nickname was the Golden Mouth. Uh, the way he preached, he was so eloquent and so crystal clear. And the Bible says of Christ that the common man gladly heard him. And the reason for that is he spoke simply. He spoke profoundly, but he also spoke simply. Not as Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2.18, with great swelling words of vanity. Great swelling words of vanity. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words. And um, not as science falsely so called. You know, I, I listen to the news sometimes and they talk about climate change as settled science. Yeah, and so is evolution. Yeah, that's real settled science too. And they got their ociferous fishers and their cosmogenies and their eanthropist Dawson Piltdown man who turned out to be a phony. And uh, next time you order a bologna sandwich, order a Piltdown sandwich. And religious, religion does the same thing. It takes God's word and tries to complicate it. Uh, religion has mendicant orders and intercists and nuncios and index aspergatoriuses and monstrances. And on and on it goes. But the Lord Jesus Christ didn't speak that way. He spoke simply. 
And the common man heard him gladly. And in the world of science and religion and medicine and law and culture, um, there's all this business of complicating things and making them difficult to understand. And um, you even have the, the kids, and it's been true of every generation. I remember our generation had it, uh, you know, speaking little lingos and, and, and sort of languages. And uh, for a while, it was the valley girl junk. And when we were coming up, it was the drug language. And it's amazing how much of that junk has leached over into common speech. I'll give you a few of these words. Cop, busted, narc, buzz, or a trip. You know what that's all about? That's drug talk in the 60s and 70s. And it just leached over into our language. And um, all the stuff in social media, and for a while there with the kids, it was the word like. It was the word like. I read an article by a guy that talked about he was giving up on the word like because he got sick and tired of like hearing like the word like. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Christ, he, he spoke those parables and the common man could relate to those parables. I mean, think of this one. A sower went forth to sow. Those men related to that because they had to sow the fields in order to get a crop, in order to eat. Uh, to many of us that go to the grocery store to get our food, we don't understand that process anymore. But it's a real process. He, Jesus said one time, consider the lilies. I mean, who hasn't seen a flower? Amen. Uh, who hasn't seen a flower? He said, ye are the salt of the earth. Now, something to consider about salt is that uh, salt was also their coinage. We look at salt as a seasoning, but they actually had coinage made in salt. They talk about the great um, road system within the, the Roman Empire at its time. And what was that all about? And they, they had... They called that the salt trail or the salt highways, and that was for transportation for, for the commodity that was so valuable to them as salt, and Jesus knew that, and so he used common everyday expressions and things that men could understand. He wasn't trying to impress, intimidate, over, or to overwhelm. Uh, he gave profound truth simply, put with the aim of helping those that are instructed. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, over toward the end of the book. And I want you to notice something about God's Word. The most, I hear, people, I hear people slander God's Word by saying it's too hard to understand. And uh, I, I can't understand it, it's too complicated, or it, con or it contradicts itself. Which is not true, not if you read it in context. But I want you to consider that the most important subject, the most important subject to us, where will we spend eternity? God uses some of the simplest terminology to help us to understand it. And in 1 John chapter 5, I want you to look at verse 12. I want you to look at verse 12. And people say religion is too complicated and it contradicts and it's too involved and so forth and to which I would agree religion is but not the gospel of Jesus Christ not the plan of salvation as we find it in the word of God and in verse 12 the Bible says he that hath the son hath life okay real simple if you have the son of God you have life how many of you here this morning have the son of God let me see your hand all right the Bible says then you have life 
And then notice the rest of it here. He says, the flip side of that is, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So if you're here this morning or you're looking, you're looking in online and you don't have the Son of God, you might say, well, I, I have the Baptist church. That's not what the verse says. You might say, well, I have the Mormon church. Uh, that's not what the, the verse says. You say, well, I, I, I'm a Catholic or a Methodist or I'm studying Buddhism. And, uh, but that's not what the verse said. It says you have to have the Son of God. Then you have eternal life. And if you have not the Son of God, then you don't have eternal life. And then I want you to notice something about every single word in that verse. Notice how many syllables they are. Every single word in that verse is a one-syllable word. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And then notice what it says in verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Folks, when it comes to the most important things, God has made it simple. And no man ever spake like Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 5, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Doesn't get any simpler than that, but it doesn't get any more profound than that. I think of Christ's wisdom. The Bible says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. The Bible says when Jesus was here that a greater than Solomon was there when it comes to wisdom. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. No man ever spake like Jesus. I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning we live in a, a crazy age, uh, a time of madness, groups, political, religious, otherwise social, and everybody yammering and yammering and yammering for attention and who's got this and who's got that and what's got the answer and who's a and what's a. And uh, I'm here to say this morning as Christians, we need to focus our attention back on Christ because there's none other like him, folks. Mark chapter 12 and verse 14, and when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true. Now they're just flattering him here. And carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God and truth. Now they think they got him. They, they've conjured up this question now. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now we've studied this before when we studied the life of Matthew, who was a publican and a tax collector. This was a hot topic. This was the hot potato of its day. I mean, those Jews in the Roman occupation, they hated the Roman government. They hated their Roman overlords. And a lot of them believed that they shouldn't be paying taxes. And they hated these Jewish traitors as they considered them that became publicans and collected the taxes for the Romans. 
And these guys thought they had Jesus now because they figured, man, if he says, uh, yeah, it's okay, then he's going to be in trouble with a lot of the Jews. If he says, no, it's not good, then he's going to be in trouble with the Romans. We've got him now. And, and then notice verse 15. It says, shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. So he asked for a coin. He asked for a coin, and, and then he says, and they brought it, verse 16, and he saith unto them, whose is this image and superscription? So he shows them the coin, and they say unto him, Caesar's. Jesus answering said unto them, render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, and they marveled at him. No man ever spake like Christ, folks. No man ever spake like Christ. Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, and in verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders. So these are the learned men. And, and by the way, folks, don't be impressed with some smart aleck that comes up with some question that, he does, that, that casts doubt on the Bible that he thinks most Christians can't answer. Don't be impressed by a guy like that. If, that all, if that's all he's got to offer, he hasn't got much. He hasn't got much at all. Um, and notice that they come, and the Bible says uh, in, in verse 2, <coughs> and spake unto him, saying, uh, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? And who is he that gave thee uh, this authority? Now, they're asking the $64,000 question here. Because whether you're talking about the realm of religion or education or science or politics or sports or whatever it is, uh, when people make a statement, what do you got to back it up? Isn't that what it's all about? What, right gives, what, what gives you the right to say that? By what authority do you say these things? And... Um, and, and then he says, and then they said, and who gave thee this authority? Verse 3. And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. Now, one thing we learn from Christ here in his wisdom immediately is you don't always have to answer everybody's questions. Okay? Um, someone once says the Fifth Amendment gives us the right to remain silent, but there's very few that practice it. And even criminals have figured that one out. When they get cornered, just shut up. And you don't have to always answer somebody's question. <coughs> what Jesus does is he takes advantage of their vulnerability and throws a question back at them because turnabout is fair play, is it not? And so he says, um, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. Verse 4, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? All right, And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then believe ye not him? Um, but verse 6, But and if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. And I love his answer, verse 8. Look at his answer. Jesus said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> neither tell I you you know what I notice on social media and the internet which what little bit I, I've ever looked at it 
I see a bunch of, for the most part, I see a bunch of insecure people going, hey, hey, this is what I really mean. Hey, hey, this is what I said. Hey, hey, this is what I think and feel. Hey, hey, who cares? Okay? Who cares? Say, I'm misunderstood. Join the crowd, folks. You got plenty of company. Jesus didn't worry about that. He didn't worry about, well, I would be misunderstood if I don't answer their question or, or they will think that I don't have the answer. He wasn't insecure that way. He just threw a question right back at them and when they decided not to answer, he said, well, then I'm not answering your question. No man ever spake like this man, folks. You've got a great Savior, folks. He's a unique Savior. Take your Bibles and turn to, to Luke chapter 4. Back up a few chapters. So I say, when I got studying this, there's just too much here. And as a preacher, I know how to skip a stone across the water. I know how to hit the points and just, um, you know, give, give the, the, the highlights and move on. But I didn't think it would be right to do that. I want us to take a look and contemplate these things uh, this morning. And uh, Luke chapter 4, and I want to talk for a few minutes <coughs> here uh, this morning in closing about the graciousness of his words. And folks, this is the day and age we live in. Uh, there aren't very many gracious words out there. There aren't very many gracious words out there. And uh, look, I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of our, our president and a lot of his policies, but, you know, I, I, I don't appreciate a lot of the stuff that goes on, even from people that don't agree with him. You know, the let's go Brandon stuff. Um, and, and it goes both ways. There was a guy with a real vile bumper sticker about uh, former President Trump, and, uh, I, and I was driving next to him, and uh, the way the lights worked out, we didn't end up next to each other, but if the weather would have been better and we'd have been next to each other, I would have liked to have rolled my window down and said, uh, that's some pretty nice civil discourse you got there, you know, because people complain about civil discourse, and the truth is there isn't much of it, but when you think of the words of Christ, he was gracious. He was gracious, and, and look at Luke chapter 4. And the Bible says, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he founded the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Uh, you talk about a positive message, folks. You talk about a great blessing. Look at all those features. What You talk about a platform. You know, what's the Democrat platform, Republican platform, independent platform, or whatever. Look at this platform here. Um, the gospels preached to the poor, the healing of the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and liberty to those that are bruised. Boy, there's a nice platform. And look at verse 19. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And then notice verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Uh, they were saying a couple things when they asked that question. They were saying, how could he be one of us? 
How could he be one of us? Because that's not the way we talk. And then perhaps they were also saying, how could this be one of Adam's fallen race? But I think of his graciousness. You know, I think of words. I think of wisdom. I think of concepts. And you know, it's not a good idea to know everything. There's only one being that can, can handle knowing everything, and that's God. Uh, it's not you, and it's not me. We can't handle knowing everything. And um, you know what? It's, it's not a virtue to stand up and spew the faults of others for everybody else to see. Uh, that's almost considered a virtue these days. And they talked about his, his gracious words, his gracious words. Uh, I think of this uh, thing spoken of Christ. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1, if you would, please. John chapter 1. No man ever spake like this man. And, and when you think of the way he spoke, uh, it's really what he was all about and who he is to us and what he's done for us. Uh, notice verse 17, John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given by Moses. So what does the law do? The law condemns us, does it not? Uh, it is the standard that which we have fallen short of. Uh, and when we lie, it tells us we are liars. And when we steal, it tells us we are thieves. And when we lust, it tells us we're adulterers and adulteresses. And uh, uh, when we covet, it, it tells us we're, we're thieves as well. Uh, when we use God's name in vain, it tells us we're blasphemers. Uh, that's what the law does. Uh, the law does condemn us. And notice the Bible says here uh, in verse 17 that the law was given by Moses uh, but, look at the word, it's set in contrast, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad it wasn't just truth? Aren't you glad that verse doesn't say, for the law was given by Moses, but truth came by Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad it's grace and truth? Grace and truth, because folks, uh, truth be known, no pun intended, if the truth about all of us was ever known to everyone else, uh, we would be running and looking for a place to hide. And uh, I remember Doc down in Bible school used to say it, and I agree with him. He said, he said if you knew everything about me that God knew about me, uh, you wouldn't bother to sit there and listen to me preach. And everybody says amen. And then he said, and if I knew everything about you that God knows about you, I wouldn't bother preaching to you. <laughs> and that's the truth as well, Amen. Aren't you glad it was grace and truth came by Jesus Christ? No man ever spake as this man. And so I conclude this morning. I want all of us to think for a moment that day that he spoke grace to our hearts and we understood for the very first time. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. No man ever spake as this man. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again, a sense of inadequacy and inability to fully portray uh, what we're trying to say here this morning. But Father, pray that somehow 
these scriptures would ring in our hearts and minds the uniqueness of our Savior, the man, Christ Jesus, the mediator between God and men, the daysman that Job so longed for during his trials and difficulties. And uh, Father, we see this morning that no man ever spake as Christ spoke. And so, Lord, help us to go forth from here today with his words. Uh, load those up in our hearts and minds and our mouths and tell a lost and dying world about a wonderful, wonderful Savior, the man Christ Jesus, our mediator, as no man ever spake as he spoke. Father, we pray for that one in our midst this morning, either here in the building or looking on online, that, Lord, they've never heard those words of graciousness. They've never understood that God loved them enough to send his son to die on the cross for their sins and that he paid that full payment of pardon for them, that he rose again the third day from the dead. And if they will but just put their faith and trust in him, he will willingly become their savior. And they will know that one who spoke such gracious words, they'll know those words spoken in their own hearts by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. So we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation this morning. Number 472. If you're here this morning and you know Christ and you need to come and spend some time in prayer, the altar's open. If you don't know Christ, we'll have somebody here in the front. It'll take a few moments with you, maybe even go into a room privately, answer any questions you might have, have a word of prayer with you. And get this matter settled. We're not going to try to turn you into a Baptist. We're not interested in getting into your pocketbook or your, your financial portfolio or getting you baptized or anything like that. We just want you to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus, as we, as we sing. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee all the fault of sin I resign, my gracious Redeemer, my
uh, Brother Nathan is around here somewhere. Where are, you, where are you at, Brother? Where are you hiding? All right, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the day. God, I thank you for the words that we heard. Uh, Lord, I thank you that they are truth and that they are life. Uh, Lord, I was sitting there listening to the message, and Lord, things that I've preached, things that I've heard all my life, and yet if we don't apply it, uh, Lord, it has kind of fallen on deaf ears. Uh, Lord, you said to us, Lord, that our speech should always be with grace. And so, Father, I ask as we leave here today that if we are Christians and we profess that, God, that our speech and our words would be like your sons. Guide and direct us today, God, as we go our way, that what we say would be from you. We love you. Lord, if there's someone here that's not saved, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would come to know you. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for safety here. We ask you for safety away. And, Lord, that you would bring us back again tonight. Lord, be with those, that, those things that are not brought up, but, God, you know them already because of who you are. I ask you to answer them according to your will. We pray all this in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.